and welcome to the latest episode of Wade In. It's Monday morning. We are all here, present and correct. I am back on my camera, which is very exciting. You can see us in glorious Technicolor, all four of us. I am joined, as always, by the Betfair boys, TC. First, how are you? How was your weekend? Yeah, look, not too bad. Not too bad. Can't can't complain. Brendan? Round a few people off of Twitter on Sunday, so yeah. Uh... Oh, excellent. Well done. I missed that. Um, <laughs> Brendan? Yeah, we won't go Brendan, there. Brendan, you've put on a smart shirt for us today. Bravo. Oh, th- th- thank you very much. Uh, thanks for noticing that. So, yeah, it, it's a bit chilly today, so this is a, a, quite a warm and stylish shirt, as you have observed. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very positive. I mean, it's April. April is my favourite month of the year, the cruelest month, my arse. Uh, it's Masters Week. Classic trials, more grand nationals than you can shake a stick at, uh, the World Snooker Championship on the horizon. I mean, it's just what a time to be alive. <laughs> Look Snooker. at that. Oh, Love it. Oh, Jesus. Even that, Tony's even cracked a smile with that little. How, how much was that shirt then, Brendan? Um, I, I don't know. I assume my mother bought it. My, my mother buys me most clothes on my clothes. So, um, I, yeah. I, it, you, you you have to ask her, but uh, cheaper twice the price. I think we can both agree. <laughs> <laughs> and and Kevin, over to you. Are you in as good a form as Brendan Dukas? Ah, yeah, actually, you know my sunny outlook at this stage, Vanessa. Yeah, mushroom cloud, silver lining, etc. Yeah, and we go. Okay, love it, love it. Now we are going to kick off with a look back at the racing, of course, and it's all flash action for us to focus yes. on. Uh, we will get to Doncaster in due course, but if we're being honest, the best of the action, or the nicest horses anyway, may well have been in action at Leopardstown for the Guineas trials. It was made no Brian double, as probably predicted really by many people. Um, Hans Anderson will kick off with him. He won the 2000 Guineas trial at Leopardstown for the O'Brien team. Brendan, you were there, I believe. Give us the report from On Track. Yes, um, it was obviously very taxing conditions. Hans Anderson did it very well. Um, I, 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 my, my paddock bluffing involved uh, quality roads. I'm still interested in this quality road hookup uh, with, with, with Cool Morris, producing some very good looking horses, even if they didn't run particularly well on Sunday. But uh, Hans Anderson, um, a, a really likable type, he, he was talking afterwards about the the, the French derby and how he should have stepped him up to a mile last year. I mean, it, it, it's interesting, I suppose, because um, <clears throat> Franco can put a lot of stamina into them, but he's he's quite speedily bred on the dam side. If you would look at his pedigree and you would think 10 furlongs, uh, could be a max, but he was very strong at the trip. Bold Discovery, um, he's another good-looking horse. He was he was very flighty in, in the preliminaries, but um, Shane Foley did a good job of settling him. And he's a big unit as well. I'd say he'll come on for the run, but really probably a moderate out, out race. And I, I don't, I wouldn't say there's any group one winners in the race anyway. Okay, well then, Kev, we will roll that sort of theme onto you and cover the 1,000 guineas at the same time with never-ending story winning that for the same operation, of course. Um, but do you, are you of Brendan's belief that we might not have seen a Group 1 winner in the 2,000 guineas trial, or can we ask the same question about the 1,000 guineas trial? I think there was more depth to the Phillies race, um, okay. I dare say. Um Overall time was a little bit faster. It seemed a, a, a truer sort of test. You have a Matilla Picot there, like who's a, who who showed a good level of form last season. Like you know, would have stamina would be up in the air, but she went along in the grand gallop for the conditions and um, like never ending story. Um, you know, ultimately ran out the very authoritative winner, and I just wouldn't like to rule out the possibility of her developing into a Group One filly um, this year. Because like her reputation preceded her last year, like before she ever ran, um, she she was seemingly you know one of the best fillies, and Aiden actually made mention of it that this day last week. He said like this this has been the best work filly all along, but she just hasn't necessarily put it down on the track. Um, she finished in the frame in a Group One at the back end last year, albeit kind of uh, you know a well beaten third. But you know she's by Dubawi out of a Camelot mare. If she's not better as a three year old, you'd be shocked. Um, so this was a good start back, given a kind of a nice safety first ride by, by Ryan was kind of three wide, um, but always looked likely to run down um, the leader. And, uh, and Julie strode away 
inside the final furlong. So um, I thought it was a nice performance from her. I thought a few shaped quite eye-catchingly in behind. Um, we're watching the run back of Madly Truly of Joseph's. I thought she ran a smashing race after getting um, messed about a little bit early in the straight. Um, I think she, she's a lovely filly that'll only improve for further. But um, yeah, never-ending story. It'll be interesting to see where they go with her, um, where the new markets on the agenda, or they, they go for another trial and wait for the Cara, which uh, I, I did hear that afterwards. Um, in a quote so we'll see where she ends up but I wouldn't like to rule her out as being a possible group one winner by the end of the season yeah it was a strange one that he but sorry but it was it was strange that he did seem to suggest uh, France or, or the Cara for her she'd definitely be worth a shot at the, the guineas I would have said definitely yeah well, t- I, well, yeah agreed over to you TC just to get your views on both trials but also to incorporate in like how we read this form in regards to you know, the heavy going at this time of year, quite how much rain we have had. It's been well documented, the amount of rain. Um, oh, you know, is is it hard for you to get a handle on this sort of form at this time of year to yeah, take well, it ahead to the to the big races? Yeah, well, obviously, we'll come on to Doncaster very briefly in a moment. But, yeah, my, I was massively impressed by that never-ending story. I mean, I had a good look at the race again this morning. Um, I'd be all up. If they said we're going to Newmarket, the 1,000 guineas, I know he's come out and said, no, meditates on number one. And, you know, this, this filly could go elsewhere, but I mean, not, but you know, the, the exchange market's not ruling her out. I mean, she's currently 20 to back 23 to Lake and, and considering O'Brien's comments, you know, you, if you're betting all in, you might've done your money already, but no, I looked at that race and she had a big reputation last year. If you go back and have a look at the Moy glare, she had a very, very bad run there. She should have finished a lot closer. Uh, she was a little bit underwhelming in the Boosack, but no, after that run, I'd be, if he came out and said today that we're going to go with a thousand guineas for this horse, I've had a look at that race and I'd be all over her. I mean, like, I'd be, I think she should be single figures if, you know, if, if they said they're going for that race. And we don't even know, looking at that thousand guineas, you don't even know if Tahira is going to turn up. And that's the 11 to 4 favourite on the exchange. So, yeah, I'll be very, very keen on that. Um, you know, obviously, Alex Andropoulos was, was very disappointing. But again, is that the ground? Uh, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. And, you know, coming on to Luca, uh, Doncaster, I mean, Steve High, who does um, a lot of the time analysis, he came out and did uh, and said that Doncaster ground was on the bottomless side of heavy. So you're going to have to take that Doncaster uh, form with a with a big pinch of salt because he had wide margin winners. They look superstars, but you know, come better ground at the end of the month or in May, you, you know, is it going to stand up? But you know that migration winning winning the uh, the Lincoln off a mark of 107. I saw this morning that time form rate that. Or was 120, which is group group two type level form, and he obviously that horse you know loves the heavy ground, but um, 120 rating for that horse in that kind of conditions might be might be stretching it a bit, but yeah, yeah, I'd take it with a pinch of salt. But never ending story is a horse that I'd want to be with uh, wherever she goes next. Okay, everyone seems very positive on that filly there. Before we leave Leperstown, we will touch again on Doncaster, but before we do, Kev, just. Um, Frustrating probably day, but specifically hour or so for Joseph O'Brien when it came to the Bally Sack Stakes and the following handicap. Uh, people will probably say he could have easily, with a, falling a different way, won both those races. But up and under, how did he not win the Bally Sack Stakes? And how did White Birch get up and like? I already knew the result. And when I was watching the race back, <laughs> I thought to myself, I was watching and I was like, no, this, this, I've read the result wrong. This must be wrong. And then as they flash past the line, you're like, how did that happen? Yeah, I know. I wouldn't take anything away from the winner now. Um, a fascinating race. Like, you can see what um, Rory Cleary was thinking on serious challenge of Jim Bulger's, you know, race fit. Really wanted to make use of it in the testing ground, but um, but probably overdid it. And White Birch and Up and Under, who were ridden with patience, came through and um, both got a bit knocked sideways by... A bit knocked sideways by Alexandropoulos. Um, Ryan Moore got two days for careless for that. Um, probably well earned in fairness but yeah they both had to overcome a certain amount of interference and I wouldn't knock either of them now um, like White Birch was coming in um, you know off the back of a maiden win at Dundalk last, last time round you know very much last season I should say very much bred to be better this year and you, you have to like him now you know I, I thought it was a fair effort um, 
and up and under. Like it wasn't a surprise that he that he ran that well. Like he was he was pitched into that race for a reason off the back of you know a, probably running to about seventy on debut. Like he's, he's a particularly good workhorse, and um, that that was a really pleasing run from him. You know he got I dare say the worst of the interference, um, and he just showed his inexperience late on. He he just drifted left. Um, close home, which might have been the difference even after everything that came before it. And if you looked about 50 yards after the line, he, he's quite a way clear of the of the winner. Um, so you'd be delighted with him. Um, you'd be delighted with the two of them, really. And look, it'll be onwards to another derby trial, most likely for both of them. And um, who knows? There, there might have been a... I know White Birch doesn't have any fancy entries um, up and under does. And um, yeah, you, you wouldn't be surprised now if, they, if the two of them keep progressing and, and make up into potential um, interesting outsiders for one of the classics in a couple of months. Of course, those were basically the same comments we were saying 12 months ago about Pisbadil and is it Buckaroo who finished first and second in the race last year, Brendan, and they didn't, well, the winner definitely didn't develop on in the same way we would have hoped. He was also... Oh, they're both, both back this season, Vanessa. I think the two of them could still be very nice horses. Hey, look, I'm not writing them off. I'm just saying that that race didn't develop quite how I think at one stage we hoped it might have done. And White Birch, of course, Brendan by Ulysses as well, aside taking the Valley Sacks two years running. Yes, uh, and um, not well, he didn't knock my eye out in the parade ring. I see he, he cost uh, 50 grand, which I suppose for... Um, I think I think Ulysses is about ten grand, so I, I, I suppose he made what he what he should what he should have made up and under. Um, he's not the tallest horse in the world, but he's very strong, real uh, chunk chunky sort. And that was obviously as Kevin mentioned, a massive step forward from from his maiden run. Alexandropoulos was the t- talk of the place be, uh, because of uh, of Aiden ramping ramping him at that media day. He was disappointing, ran around like a drunk. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I fell for that Pisbee deal. I backed Pisbee deal in, in the in the Derby last year, and, and I, I was disappointed with him. Um, this race, yeah, I, I, I don't have any particularly strong opinions on it. Denmark's definitely won. He's going to test all of Aiden's skills. I mean, we saw him in mm-hmm. Nace last, last year, and he has that high head carriage, and he unshipped Brian after the last. Now, in fairness, then he was unlucky. When he went when he when he went to France, he probably should have been unbeaten as a two-year-old. But he was making loads of noise in the parade ring. He carries his head high still. He runs free in his races. Um, I'd say he will be regressive and is one to oppose going forward. I mean, I mean, I know he was, he was well beaten at the weekend. It's not a massive shout or anything, but I think even even the master of Bally Doyle will struggle with Denmark. Fair, and Vanessa, fair. just 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 because you mentioned them, um, Buckaroo's actually taking on homeless songs at Leopardstown on Wednesday, so that'll be one to watch. His his long awaited comeback. He, he was he was he was a very sick horse not long after the Irish Guineas, and that's why he didn't run since. But um, he's back, and Ushi Murphy's coming over to ride him. So yeah, looking forward to seeing that. Okay, very good. All right, well let's move away from Leopardstown. Um, TC probably already really covered it, but in terms of Doncaster, obviously migration, as TC's already said, bolting up in the Lincoln for David Menuzier and Dan Barber followers on Racing Only Better. Bravo, Dan Barber. Big shout to him. Um, Brendan, what were your big takeaways from Doncaster? We'll cover it in one fail swoop, please. What were your takeaways? Well, I thought similar to uh, Antonia. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Susan wrong word. Volume 11. Did you just say one fail swoop? Yeah. It's fell swoop. It's what? It's fell swoop. F-E-L-L, not F-A-I-L. Fell swoop. No, it's not. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but I like how you're going all no, in. No. I, mean, I wasn't going to say anything. I'm not taking say the piss. It is. It's one fell swoop, not fail. Tony. <laughs> You're like, oh no! <laughs> you said a picture of what school you went to. I mean, I don't know what they taught there, but it wasn't words. <laughs> well, we've seen why the school wasn't really beneficial to my education. I think. <laughs> oh, this no. term was used and probably invented by Shakespeare in Macbeth, where the playwright likens the murder of Macduff's wife and children to a hawk swooping down on defenceless prey. One fell swoop. Wow. Okay, well, that's another shocker. 
God almighty, I don't know. Brendan, continue, please. Get me off this. Uh, yes, uh, well, we had uh, migration coming home after his winter away to keep the uh, the, the avian theme going. Uh, he was very impressive. Uh, back, back, back the best horse in the race, the barber knew. Uh, that that was that was really impressive, but of course you'd have to be careful. Tony will mention, but uh, the time form rate or mentioned the time form rating that they they've given him. But of course horses could get those huge figures in, in handicaps, and then it doesn't correspond to actual stakes races. And the dream, I mean, she just looked unbelievable. A very very good job by Charlie Fellows. He mentioned that he he got her tuned up on the all weather and perhaps tracks that, that didn't suit her she likes a straight track and clearly she's no problem with heavy ground i mean she looked a group one sprinter in that race but she probably isn't it's a fair comment yeah mm. kev um maybe i mean we we should probably mention the brockles with dolly's impact winning that one for pearl secret on heavy ground no surprise there billy lock in the saddle but maybe the nicest horse we might have seen all weekend could have been on sunday at doncaster with theory of everything winning the seven furlong three-year-old maiden for team gosden he cost 325k at the sales um, Godolphin bought his brother last year for a million so from a very good family bred beautifully and I mean breeding suggests he needs the heavy ground but he looks well above average I thought Kev. Yeah she looked visually it, it ticked the boxes didn't it um look I suppose that you have to have that little red flag beside all these performances that Tony alluded to there like, like particularly testing ground um you know so it may not translate but she looked this was a, a smashing start it wasn't unexpected clearly um via the market um yeah like i, I saw that the 325 grand um price tag be, being kind of uh, billowed around the place a little bit as in oh wasn't he expensive i say it was quite cheap there must have been and uh, there must have been some some false at play there now because a frankel out of a group one win a mayor um that's not expensive as such <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I, I I concur with you. I saw that and I thought, oh, I wonder what was wrong with him because yeah, like, well, that's it. Yeah, and then the fact like his it, brother by I think his brother was by Dubawi, isn't he? Made a million. I mean, that's much more like it for that caliber. Yeah, of yeah, that'd be more like. And look, sometimes you know, for for those that aren't involved in it, it might it might seem you might when we say what's wrong, you might be looking for something big. It might only be something tiny. Um, complete speculation. I'm not familiar with the specific horse, but um, like a small little blemish or concern on an X-ray can be enough to for the real big players to to step out of the arena and uh, result in a horse making still clearly 325 grand is an awful lot of money. You buy a fine house for it, but in the in the context of a of a blue blood colt. Um, it isn't a, a knockout price, so there may have been just what one or two little little concerns there that um, may not have proven to be um, to be on the mark based on this first effort on the track. It didn't look to be much wrong with him there. No, absolutely. Uh, TC, do you have anything more to add before we move away from Doncaster and the racing full stop this weekend? Because we have plenty of news topics to get to, please. Nope. Great. All right. We are done and dusted then. Let's move on to those news headlines. And we are going to kick off with a story which probably hasn't got the attention it deserves, which is this John Butler doping case. Um, it came out in the week where um, the BHA basically... The trainer, John Butler, has alleged that one of his horses had been deliberately doped, so sort of got at by a potent pig tranquilizer before running. Um, this was in a race at Chelmsford over five furlongs back in 2020. So, yes, these things take literally three years to develop. Um, but superseded, had been sent off the 72 second favourite at Chelmsford, ran like a pig himself. And latterly, it was found that he had pig tranquilizer in his system uh thanks to a post-race urine sample taken by the bha now it should be said that there was no suspicious betting patterns attached to this horse or unearthed during the bha investigation but john butler believes that his horse was got at kevin and this isn't a rare case these days because we've heard of a few of these now this story hasn't got a huge amount of attention but if people are going around getting at horses well is that happening i suppose is the big question here and this is a giant story. I can't believe that this hasn't been headline news for the last number of days since it came out. And it was the exact same when we had a similar case, like you say, just over a year ago, 
um, regarding a horse called Ladies First at Newcastle. Um, like, like to me, like how does this not strike at the heart of the the, the integrity of the game? Like this, this is hugely concerning, is it not? You know, there's this. There, look, this was low grade stuff, not the 55 sprint handicap, but a fancied horse, relatively sharp price, seven to two, um, and ran horrendously. Was asked to be the, the stewards asked for the horse to be dope tested. Has popped up with this with, with a, a large amount of the, of this pig sedative in its system. And um, they concluded from from based on the the levels of the substance involved that someone has injected this horse into the vein. 60 to 90 minutes before the race like this just raises gigantic concerns because look in previous cases where horses have been sedated prior to races you know dope nobbled call it what you like like it, it's it's often been a substance called acp which would be like very prolific in, in yards all over the place literally you'd, you'd put it in practice like you'd put, you'd put a little um less than a pea size amount on your finger stick it in the horse's mouth and um, it would just take the edge off them before you ride them out. You know, very, very common thing. Um, and re- within reason, anyone could have could apply that to a horse in a race course stables pretty quickly if they're of that mind. But it, it's another matter entirely to inject a horse into the vein. Like that's something that not, not uh, you know, clearly everyone wouldn't be able to do that. A, a relatively small amount of people, if they're acting alone again, like this, this to me suggests that someone, if that is indeed what happened, and a speculation um, based on the evidence that that is what happened. Like this would be deeply concerning. This is someone that's not messing about, that that has a, a clear, um, uh, you know, they don't want to leave anything to chance to go to that length. Um, and it, it, it speaks to a level of sophistication and professionalism in, in what they're doing. Um, you mentioned there um, what the BHA have said in that they didn't find any um, suspicious betting patterns. They didn't make any mention of betting patterns in the ladies' first case, which again, um, one assumes they didn't find anything that they thought was worth mentioning. But it would be pretty, to me, pretty naive to sort of, you know, wipe your hands and say, well, okay, well, there's no suspicious betting patterns. You know, nothing to see here because, like, like there's a whole heap of, of non traditional betting mediums that people could use to get heavily involved in even low level races like this, you know, namely out in the Far East that wouldn't have memorandums of understandings or anything like it with the BHA and the BHA wouldn't have access to it. So it would be very naive to think that because it didn't get to the on-course market or the exchange markets that nothing was going on. You know, I think this is deeply, deeply worrying. You know, it's not the first one that's been caught. And I say has been caught because the only reason these cases were flagged is because the stewards on the day rang the bell and said, hey, lads, don't test that horse that ran poorly. We don't don't test every horse that runs poorly, lads. Nothing like every horse. So like, I would be really fearful that this is happening quite a bit more than is being discovered. And and then you have I, like another... I lo- question in regards to that, Kev, sorry, just uh, for my own benefit, and I presume many listeners as well. If a horse runs badly on the day, is it down to the stewards to ask for the dope test? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, It's just absolutely. the on-course steward, their decision. So there's not some sort of central place that looks at all these races. It's just literally the stewards on the day at the racetracks. Yeah, nor like where you really see it is, you know, if a, if a sharp price horse runs poorly, they'll order it to be a routine sample. But that's completely at the discretion of the stewards. I'm open to correction and happy to clarify, but I, I don't think there's a protocol in place to say, like, if a horse is shorter yeah. than X and is beaten by Y, it has to be um, routine tested. I don't think there is. But uh, like, and then the most frustrating part of this is that 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 old that old chestnut against CCTV? You know, we we talked about this endlessly after the Charles the Charles Burns um, Viking Horde case. The fact that there was only full CCTV in in one of twenty six Irish tracks and how much of a disgrace and a joke that was. Um, that's just been rectified. But at the time, I certainly held up the BHA as an example of how it should be done because for you know a couple of decades they had made it mandatory for every racecourse stables to have um, CCTV coverage of every stable door and for that footage to be held for 60 days. So we were saying, well, look, the BHA got this right 20 years ago. How haven't the Irish got it right? But in this case, the, 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 the quality of the footage was so bad that they couldn't recognize anyone in the footage. 
So they couldn't establish who was coming and going and who might have been the perpetrator. And so that's clearly an absolute farce. Um, because it's one thing to have cameras up on the wall, which, you know, in fairness, would act as a deterrent. But then if it comes to something actually happens and you have to consult the footage and the fo- it's so bad that you can't see people's faces, sure, that's completely not fit for purpose. Like, so for me, the BHA here, like, we really want to be seen to be getting onto this and doing a full audit uh, of Racecourse Stable CCTV in Britain, finding out what's, what's, what's fit for purpose and what isn't and getting anything that isn't right up to scratch. Because Vanessa, like you wouldn't need to be, uh, you wouldn't have need to have had an overload of Dick Francis books to, to worry about where this might end up. Like imagine, now devil's advocate, imagine the favourite for the derby, you know, finished tailed off and came back, was dope tested and had a, had a load of pig tranquilizer in it. You know, the favourite for the Grand National, that happens, the horse falls, you know, someone gets badly hurt, horse gets killed. Like there's a huge amount of potential for apps, an absolute catastrophe on a number of fronts with this type of carry on. And this is the second one that has come to the BHA in the last, um, you know, 15 months. Like, I, I can't believe people are getting well, more worked up about this. It seems hugely significant to me. Do you want to just outline, in not a similar case, but on a, on a similar theme, that case you flagged up uh, in Ireland recently, uh, the Tony Martin horse? Oh, well, look, we, we don't know the details of that. that. That's only got flagged up last week. A horse called um, uh, Thetis was the, before he was due to run and um, he was found to have a, a, a seemingly fresh puncture wound on his on one of his veins and the stewards flagged this um, and the, the trainer's representative said that he'd been given, um, had been given an electrolyte the night before um, into the vein and that's what it was. Um, there might there was some disagreement over how recent it looked, and there was some photographic evidence produced, and that has now been referred on, and we, we'll see what comes of that. Um, you know, you know, it could be you know, most likely will be completely unrelated to this type of thing, but we don't know, so we, we best not comment. But um, like like this is something that um, you know the IHRB and the BHA like really need to get onto because. You know, we, we see people getting excited about relative to me relatively minor things in terms of integrity yeah. concerns. But this, the notion that pe- like an organised crew might be going around into race with access to racecourse stables, doping horses, and potentially getting stuck into non-traceable betting markets to profit from that, like that 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 goes as deep as it gets to to the, the heart of the, the integrity of the game, surely. Uh, TC, do you think one of the reasons, you know, one of the things that Kev is so shocked about here is kind of how this hasn't really sort of captured the attention of racing fans and uh, sort of a wider racing circle as such, maybe not getting the attention it deserves. Is that because of that line that no suspicious betting patterns have been unearthed? When people read that, is it like, all right, okay, case cleared, no suspicious betting patterns, even though, as Kevin said, it could be way deeper than that? Yeah, I mean... The, the idea that, you know, there has to be kind of some, some kind of a betting trail, um, some audit trail for, for this to, to be, you know, given any credence is, is pretty preposterous, isn't it? I mean, um, you're not going to go, you're not going to go down the, if you're going to do this, you're doing it for a financial reason and you're not going to go down the, you know, the path of most likely detection. Um, we all know that, you know, likes of Betfair and other betting exchanges have got a memorandum of understanding if you're doing it, if you're utilising it with a fixed odds firm, they're probably less likely to flag this kind of stuff up. And Kevin touched upon the salient point here. I mean, all this stuff about affordability checks and people migrating to, you know, to the black markets and the legal bookmakers, whether here or abroad. I mean, if you are if you are going to do that, and and I, mean, I I don't I wouldn't have a clue how to go to you know a legal uh, bookmaker or, or black market but if you are doing that and you have got the c- capability to oppose a horse with these illegal bookmakers then it's clearly not going to be flagging up uh, any kind of trail is there so yeah i mean it's the idea that there has to be some known betting angle uh, for wrongdoing to be kind of like you know properly investigated and pursued it is laughable, especially if you believe uh, what you what you hear about after these affordability checks driving people abroad and you know to the dark areas. Um, Brendan, you're a racing fan through and through, and um, probably one of the least cynical people on this podcast. Do you think that 
horses being get, got at is part of the game right now? I, 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 I'm a little bit sceptical. I, I certainly don't, don't think it's rampant, but I mean, I, I very much take the point of the level of sophistication. So the two lads that did ladies first, uh, the, 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 the Easterby horse, they were two race course employees. So the suspicion would be that someone said to them, can you give this horse a certain thing and they were seen feeding the horse and uh, they, they were caught and did someone get a touch out of that and at, at least that horse was, was six to four uh, whereas, whereas this one was, was the seven to two second favourite um, but it, it, it's interesting absolutely that they, they now have a needle man and it certainly makes absolute logical sense as, as, as the lads were saying that if they're going to go to all this trouble I mean, they were only sh- short of d- doing one of those Ocean's Eleven thing where they spray the, uh, well, they didn't need to because the CCTV didn't work. But it was it was obviously quite sophisticated. It obviously would have come at some expense to put it in place. So someone had to get paid. That makes sense. You don't invest a lot of money in something unless you're going to get more money out of it. I totally get that. But what I don't really understand is with such uncompetitive racing and in, in, well, in England and Ireland, say, say a maiden hurdle, for example, if you had this capability, why would you not just go to Newton Abbott when there's a forerunner novice hurdle where only two can win? One of them's one to three and one of them's five to two. And you can hit the absolute Klondike. The, the, the horses that they were picked is, 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 is seem a bit odd, but it, it, it definitely is... Um, it definitely is concerning, but I I, I would suspect uh, to, to Kevin's point that if a, a favourite or a fancied horse does run really dismally, I would say that surely the stewards are more often than not on the ball about this, and they do say, well, we'll get routine test that horse, so that if it was rampant, it would be coming out more and more, but at the same time, you can't just sleep on it and say, oh, no suspicious betting patterns, because logically i mean use your brains so if it costs money to put it into place you have to be getting more money out of it somehow and one thing i'd say vanessa is like if you trying to put myself in the shoes of someone that might do something like this like if you were if you were thinking about it and the best way to go undetected like you, you wouldn't be giving them quite so much that they're going to drop out the back of the telly you know, mm-hmm. and then you know, if you were giving them just enough that they, you know, they finish mid-div or rear mid-div, the likelihood of them being tested is greatly reduced. So, like one assumes again, if if we're going to give these fellas um the benefit of, of the assumption of sophistication, you'd imagine that they might be thinking along something along those lines. But I think this is I, I, the, the lack of response and questioning of the BHA in terms of right how are you responding to this second case in the last 15 months lads because you know as you alluded to at the very beginning Vanessa like we are dealing with a lag here you know ladies first was 2018 this was 2020 you know is yeah. there something else are there other cases in the mixer uh, of a similar ilk that, that you know that, that you'd be concerned about um it uh got it put the it put the frighteners of me now because as a as any participant in the in the game would be incredibly fearful of something like this happening and mm. not to mention the the obvious you know horse horse welfare um jockey safety element of this if jesus horses are going out um sedated um my god like that that's that's a bit terrifying too you know okay well let's move on guys from that shock river story to a somewhat um further shocking story really this was mail on sunday their front page the mail on sunday uh revealed thanks to an undercover investigation that they found that an animal rights mob vegan activists are slash were planning on sabotaging the grand national 100 plus members to glue slash tie themselves to the course, to the track, to fences in an attempt to make it unable for the race to be run on the big day. This big expose comes two weeks before the race, of course, um, thanks to this undercover um, investigator working for the Mail on Sunday. And as a result, it was their front page story. What was everyone's reaction to this? Brendan, I shall start with you. Were you, were you shocked? <laughs> Um, no, I, I, I wasn't particularly uh, shocked. I mean, there's a, a, a lot of soap dodging, uh, misunderstanding uh, people out there, and you could probably get a hundred of them together in a room and someone feeds them with some <laughs> guff. 
and 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 I think we'll we'll go out and change the world. But I think it would be easier for them to do it when when they close those roads. I mean, when I see people glued to the roads and uh, the disruption it's causing to people's lives when they're just trying to go go out to work about it. But I, I'd say it's a lot easier to do that than it is to do it at a major sporting event, which would already be conscious of security concerns for various reasons and would have the, the police on side and protocols in place. I mean, the, the national has been postponed for a terrorist event before. So they're, they're not unaware of this situation. So they're, they're talking about bolt cutters and safe houses. It's all very, it's all very lefty, famous five rubbish. Um, and I don't think they'd be able to pull it off because I think it would be a lot easier to close a major road than it would be to disrupt a Grand National for all that it wouldn't take a huge amount of people generally to disrupt an awful lot of people's lives if they if, if they want to do it. But it, it's definitely harder when, a, when an event is enclosed and policed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, their, their plan was vast and extreme, as you would imagine, TC, with these sort of people. But like Brendan said, would have been, and I mean, pretty tough to pull off, but not impossible, I guess. I would like, entries are a very big expense, isn't it? And mm. like, loads of access areas and things like that. It was a very good story. Isn't it? They had it going since uh, November last year and, you know, they infiltrated this kind of group. Yeah, it could still happen because, like I said, yeah. no matter what security you've got in place, there's always weak spots. And if you get 100 of these lunatics running onto a certain um, part of the track and embedding themselves in one of the fences and stuff like that, it's, um, you know, it's going to take a lot of um, unwinding, isn't it? But I just, I just, I just am quite amused by it. So the idea that you've got a hundred vegan militants, I mean, Jesus, I mean, vegans shouldn't be militants, should they? I mean, I went for a pint of milk this morning. I thought I was going to be subjected to a drive-by shooting for these <laughs> lunatics. But uh, yeah, very good story. Could still happen. Um, but obviously, everyone's on the alert. Yeah, it's a good work for the mail on Sunday. Yeah. Nev, I wasn't shocked to see this sort of story. I wasn't shocked when I read it. I didn't think, oh my God, this is so shocking because given um how many, you know, that those sort of people and their strong views and that they won't, you know, their passion, I guess, for their these animal rights and what the point that they want to make. It doesn't in any way surprise me that there was a plan going on for a race like the national, given the world that we live in, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, um, you'd say like really fair play to the Mail on Sunday, like <laughs> crack a bit of journalism in fairness yeah. to them. Um, well, well done to them. Um, and sure, look, isn't it great that that it's been exposed at this stage? Um, it, it wouldn't be a you know thirty years now since um, since the, the national never was. Um, uh, sure, look, could it happen? Of course it could. And I think like like you say, um, the, this brand of of um, activists, whatever you want to call them, you know, they have figured out there of way of great ways to get attention. You know, we've seen them there, as Brendan says, you know, gluing themselves to roads and you know throwing throwing paint across valuable paintings and things like that. Um, so they they know how to get attention, and like you say, the Grand National will be one of the very few windows and um, to the wider world that there are for uh, British horse racing nowadays. Um, they probably I'm sure they don't like horse racing at all, <laughs> so they'd be able to get to you know um, to 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 be able to get attention for their cause as well as disrupt a, a mighty horse race would be um, very appealing to them. Um, and look, we've good warning now. Um, now what a nightmare for poor Alaintree. Like, geez, they're enough on their plate trying to organise a race like that, and everything that comes with it. Now they've got to, one assumes, spend a fortune on, on added security to make sure these fruit loops don't don't make their way onto the track. Um, so look, hopefully it all goes off without incident. But um, yeah, you couldn't be letting your guard down. Like, don't forget that, like they tried, they got onto the track at Royal Ascot there um, last year. Yeah. And uh, chain themselves to the running rails, and they, they wouldn't have got any prizes for for IQ or intellect. They, they didn't realise that the white rails could just be lifted out of the ground and moved. Um, so for all their planning, uh, like they they embedded themselves in, like they were right, they were working as caterers on the track. So they went they for a whole lot a whole lot of effort to get the necessary access, but uh, the old brain power failed them in the the final execution of their act. So they were quietly quietly removed from the track before pretty much anyone had noticed that they were there. So uh, yes, lack of coaching, 
Lack of protein, you see, the best brain function. I hope they weren't serving meat for these catering jobs. Can you imagine hypocrites? Um, Shall we move on, TC, (laughs) to all things racehorse association? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, and then have the topic. So, I mean, I'm not really across this story as such, but basically they sent out a letter in yeah. regards to their ROA badge scheme, which allows yeah. members to go racing at 90% of the racing fixtures across the UK. Um, the letter seems to have misled and confused the members that then has resulted in outrage. But TC, you can pick it up from there. Yeah, it's basically, it was flagged up by an old racing post colleague of mine, Tony Harbidge, who was uh, who just who posted the actual email that the ROA members got. And to say it was confusing uh, is um, is an understatement. Uh, it was flagged up there. Uh, they sent out a follow-up email trying to clarify the situation following day. It just seems that it's not a given that they can rock up to the track now, the ROA members, and flag their pass and walk straight in. It's a bit more convoluted. It's a bit more, um, bit more involved. I mean, some some people you have to attract. Uh, you have to go to the courses direct and go for a process there. Um, so yeah, and so it caused a lot of uh, controversy there. Um, you know, it, it's really got a lot of people backed up. One person who I don't know uh, email a direct message me uh, an email exchange they had with Charlie Liverton, and to say they were unimpressed by the response they got um, again is an understatement. There was it seems to be not only is it harder to gain access to the tracks now. Um, it sounds like they the the area where they got um to get into has been downgraded uh normally they were in you know uh, the premier enclosures now that uh, some tracks are given in grandstand enclosures it sounds like some some tracks and some days are off limits now uh the correspondence that i saw saying they couldn't get to entry on thursday but what surprised me is i didn't realize no matter what level you are that ROA members could had access, free of charge access to so many of these fixtures. That did take me back, and uh, it did take me back somewhat. But it sounds like the, the main gripe is the ROA aren't standing up for their members uh, on this issue, and um, you know it's a bit like watch this space because um, I think mean, Kev actually flagged up. Uh, someone did a Twitter poll about are you happy with the ROA membership and stuff like that. It only had 160 votes, so we shouldn't go overboard about it, but um i think was it 68 percent said the roa executive should be replaced and it was you know it's uh everyone's very unimpressed by the roa actually and, and, and looking at the correspondence they did set themselves up for a fall okay bad bad piece of pr anyway at the bare, at the bare minimum um Brendan, another news story that has been floating around this week is british racecourse attendances they're down mm. Um, to the lowest they've been since 1995, taking away anything to do with COVID, essentially. According to the stats, uh, the recent stats, they've hit their lowest level um, in a non-COVID-affected month since 1995. So that's courtesy of the numbers in February, uh, obviously gathered by the BHA. Not exactly ideal viewing, Um why is this? Is there a way we can stop this decline? Well, yes, I I, I feel like um, obviously last year they got a huge post-COVID bounce because everyone had saved up all their money because they, they, they'd, be, they'd been locked up. So I think that this is just a, a, an overcorrection to all the negative stories in the press at the moment about how the world is going to hell in a handcart. And I mean, from again, we discussed how little I know about money and things like that, but markets, say bull and bear markets, uh, stocks and shares. And I'll just keep saying words like that. I don't actually know what they mean, but a lot of it is about confidence in terms of it doesn't necessarily matter how the company is doing or it's just how people feel. 
and that 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 can, that can move a market. That's how fragile these things are. So people are concerned at the and now and at the same time, I don't want to be dismissive. They have legitimate real world concerns when they look at their electricity bills and what have you. But it looks like interest mm-hmm. rates are now starting to, to to correct as well. And you might see stories coming out about. Uh, well, I actually saw a story last week about how we need to be worried about deflation. So I mean, I don't know how does this stuff. I mean, it's, it's the inflation was rampant. Now, oh, but the, the real danger is deflation. So it's it's completely baffling stuff to me. But I feel like that when people start to get a bit more confidence in the economy, maybe with all the Brexit concerns and interest rates and mortgages and the the, the war in Ukraine, there is a lot going on at the moment that could lead to people going, I'm a little bit worried about spending my money on a day at the track. It's, it's, I mean, the mood, the mood is low. February's a crap month. Everyone's depressed in February at the best of times anyway. Um, do, do we have any cross-sport um, comparisons here? Like, have football attendances dipped in a similar style or rugby attendances? I'd be interested, I, and I don't know, but I'd be interested to see those numbers because, you know, you, you, you can blast off all the, the reasons there, you know, why bigger picture economy stuff. But if it's not happening in other sports, um, you, you might be getting a little bit concerned that it's not just bigger picture stuff, that um, there are other factors at play. Yeah. Some of these figures were quite shocking. I mean, the average race course attendance in February was 1,402. I mean, that's pretty that's shockingly low, isn't it? But you had figures like, the, you know, the Betfair Hurdle Day was down over 25%. I uh, mean, the thing is with that as an average, though, like if you spend your time at Wolverhampton, that's a shocking <laughs> average because it seems yeah. too high. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or in Ireland, for that matter. The thing about it's basically it's all cost of living, isn't it? I mean, I was chatting to somebody at the weekend. They said they've just had their um, electricity um, bill for coming in for obviously the, a lot of the lot of the help stops in April. I mean, their electricity bill is three hundred eighty five pound a month uh, from from you know from May onwards. I mean, people just haven't got the money to do that. And and the sad reality about racecourse attendances and and people, you know, not willing to pay thirty forty quid to get into race meetings. The sad fact is a fair percentage of people who go racing don't really go for the racing. They go for the day out. If you go to racing, if you go to, sorry, rugby or football, you sit there for for two hours and you watch the sport. That's not always the case in racing. So people just think when they pay to go to the racing, it's the sport is incidental to, like I said, to a fair percentage. So that's that's a factor as well. But it's it's surely all cost of living. Cost of living, yeah. Kev, what are race course tendencies like, figure-wise, in Ireland? Are they holding up? Uh, I'm asking as a general question. Re- the answer is what was, How many yeah, people did down on Sunday, Brendan? Oh, not many. Very, very, very small crowd. The crowds in Ireland are, are generally abysmal. Now, it's different. It's very different um, in, in terms of... In, in England, it's a different model because they're pro- the Irish racing is propped up by the state. But generally speaking, unless it's the big festivals, it's, it's, it's certain Sundays, Navin Sundays, and and they do well, particularly during the national hunt meetings. But the midweek stuff, when Vanessa was talking about uh, Wolverhampton, said the midweek stu- stuff in Ireland generally is a wasteland. Okay. Total total attendances for twenty twenty two, it was one and a quarter million. It was pretty close back to twenty eighteen levels. Twenty eighteen was uh, one point. 275 so nearly bounced back obviously 2020 21 were write-offs so a good bounce back i'd say all right um should we move on some questions guys are we done and dusted here anything else to flag up no yeah just just for comparison the average across all race meetings in ireland was 3200 wow well uh, now that now that that will be heavily pumped up by by some of the big festival meetings now in fairness Well, we don't have we don't have as many fixtures, of course. No, exactly. Not, yeah, yeah. not even not even comparable. Um, let's move on. Uh, Tony Calvin once again has asked for questions. He has selected the best few, answered others online. Um, so we love hearing what you've got to ask about, and we try and pick a sort of varied subjects. Uh, we will kick off with the winning edges question. He or she has asked. Racing posts nearly five pounds per issue. How do we attract people to a sport where the trade paper is double the cost of the Financial Times? It is one thousand six hundred and seventy pounds per year. 
Yeah, I, c- I can take that because I think there's a wider yeah. point in that. In that, look, clearly is like hyper expensive, goes up every year. But I saw an interesting quote from the boss man of the group that publishes the Irish Independent and Sunday Independent the other day. And this is the boss of a newspaper company. And he basically said he thinks the print editions will be will essentially be gone within seven to ten years and that they're, uh, they're all moving towards digital subscription models. And like there's probably, I dare say, an element of that in pricing strategies in that you're they're making the print edition uh, more expensive compared to the digital alternative in an effort to kind of funnel people in that direction so that they can justify pulling the plug on the paper um like with the rp like i'd say that the betting shop edition is is quite important but in terms of the actual circulation joe soap going into the shop and buying the paper uh, like I, I speculated those numbers are are pretty tiny compared to what they used to be do um raise your hand if you're a digital subscriber of any paper rather than buying a paper edition. Yeah, it's just the thing about the thing about the paper is I me mean, people have been forecasting the demise of the you know the, the print edition for ages, but it sounds like if not imminent, it sounds like it's gonna happen. Um that you obviously changes internally at the racing post um you know might be may or may not be publicized coming up. And the thing to make is, I mean. The, I think I pay 349 quid a year for the, the digital version of everything. Uh, and that's great value. I mean, I don't I don't read a lot of the, the, the columns. All I want is basically, you know, the, the form side of it. And, you know, and that's great. I mean, for 349 pound a year, you get the racing post version from nine o'clock the night before. You'll get the weekender. Um, you'll get the racing and football outlook as well. Not that I'd never read that. But it's, it's very good value, the 349 quid. I mean, I, I literally do not know who buys a paper now because you can't, there's no, you can't pick winners out of it. There's no, you can't, you know, have a deep dive into it. You get three lines worth of form and a very rudimentary, you know, assessment of, of horses' chances. No, I mean, the, the, paper, the paper is terrible value. The online version is great value. Brendan, you strike me as a sort of person who'd buy a proper paper. Oh yes, yes. I always like to uh, buy buy the paper on a Sunday. And a couple of the men who I go race with now, who are of a certain age, they buy the racing post every time they go racing to have something to scribble on. But it's just behaviour. And clearly, as the lads have mentioned, one of the ways to change uh, behaviour is to make it so expensive that they, mm-hmm. they go well. Actually, three hundred and fifty quid a year is is savage value, and 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 that's how to do. And that seems like a, a legitimate thing. To do, but yes, I'd I'd be sad. There's something quite satisfying about scribbling on paper. But look, I'll get I'll get I'll get over it. Uh, you nicked it from the betting shop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah but, uh, Kevin did mention that. That's very important to the business because the the whole gig is that if you get the betting shop display, you have to also buy the paper. So that's uh, well, I wouldn't. I, I know the betting shops aren't paying as much as Joe Public, but still, say that's nine quid a day for every betting shop in England and Ireland. That's that's a decent earner. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, okay. I suppose you look at the bigger picture. Then, like number of betting shops is is probably going to keep going down. Like that's probably yeah. a, 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 the way the the print business is going for the newspapers. The betting offices are probably going for the betting industry. You know, we need to move on. We've got another good question this time from Ben Keith TC. This is coming your way. Many on course and independent bookmakers are family businesses, and also those to give young people their first chance as much more approachable at the local track. In the new white paper slash rules, can we please allow under 18s to do work experience as we were all so lucky to be able to do? Yeah, I, I had a bit of fun with him on Twitter about this yesterday. I called the, my fellow Cubal. I called him a bit unhinged for suggesting this. I can see where he's coming from. Um, we all probably got involved in racing well before we were 18, probably well before we were 12, really. And so I and I think it's a it's a great industry to you know to to get involved with but i mean the idea in the current climate you can allow under 18s into a gambling environment to do work experiences is, is pretty fanciful isn't it i mean i always i didn't go into it on twitter but i mean there is you have to be over 20 you have to be 25 and above uh to be sponsored by a bookmaker for uh for jockey and trainer columns and, and sponsorships don't you so the idea that you know it in an ideal world, yes, I think they should be, but it's just not going to happen, is it? 
Um, Gary has asked, does the number of entries at Bath's Easter meeting show the impact of providing appropriate prize money, but also mean the knock-on will be even more small fields at meetings in the next fortnight where prize money is not as good? Um, just for anyone who hasn't seen, for instance, Bath on Easter uh, on Good Friday has entries at this point, 42 runners, 30 runners, 72, 80, 66 runners, 47 runners and 71 runners. So they've got a, a whole clutch of runners there on Good Friday. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't know if you call it appropriate prize money. <laughs> it's, yeah. clearly like, it's clearly way over the top prize money that, that why, lacks, why uh, they, that lacks why creativity. Why doing this? How are they going to get the, the dough back? It's a bank holiday crowd. It doesn't matter how many runners are. Do they think it's going to increase turnover? Anything well, turnover? sure. I think I think it was probably very <laughs> difficult to get a Good Friday fixture, so they probably had to do something a bit notable to to do ah. it. And oh, it's great, it's, you know, if you have, if you have a not the fifty five horse, it's super. Now, mind it's a bit tricky because. Um, in Ireland, at the lowest level, not the sixty fives. The the balloting is is random, so you know you have a you have a fair shot. You, you get an exemption if you're in the first four in your previous start, but you ha- you basically have a fair shot of getting into the race, um, regardless of your rating. Whereas with these, what you'll see in practice here is that I'm just looking at the the not the fifty five here in the UK that they, they allow in horses rated fifty six and fifty seven. Um, if if the races don't fill, but basically what you're going to get is a tiny a tiny little um, range in the weights here. And if you're not close to the top of that band, you've got absolutely no chance of getting in, um, which is, is is bad luck, you know, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. Um, but, hey, look, it's great. Prize money, um, you know, is, is absolutely horrific at that level. So it's, it's nice that they, they've had something to aim at. With a, with a much bigger pot, um, a, a, you know, slightly related point. I know the, the racing league have changed their race program a bit this year to lower some of the racing bands. And I think that that will be great from that point of view as well, in that it will give some lads a chance to have a crack at, you know, an auto 80 and an auto 85 that are worth, you know, many, many multiples of what that grade would normally be worth. So um, I think anything that kind of stands out amongst the mire, like that is is a good thing, but look, it's not going to cure the the, the massive uh, systematic problems that they have with prize money in the UK. Okay, uh, let's move on to Mike Walker, who's asked, are student days or other special days good for racing? I think it's great for the sport. Times have changed now. Racing is no longer only appealing to the wax jacket, binocular holding type. The younger <laughs> generation are being drawn in as it is now seen as a good day out. Brendan, you can take this. Student race days at Leopardstown on Wednesday, I believe, as well. Mm. Um, I can't imagine it's something you welcome with open arms, to be honest. Well, I mean, it's only it's only one day, day of the year, uh, and I don't have to go. I went last year because I wanted to see above the curve. I'd be highly tempted to go this year because Homeless Songs is, is running. Um, but, I mean, they're hard work. Look, they're the future, you know, and people are entitled to let off steam. They're full of energy. They're out with their friends. They're having a few drinks, but they're they're a curious combination of the slowest moving species known to man and also <laughs> one of the noisy, one of the noisiest species known. It's like walking through a forest of cicadas, or, or, or it is definitely hard going for the wax jacket binocular. Uh, using pe- people like me, but it's only one day. Just to, to uh, sorry, I've forgotten that man's uh, name who who, who Mike, posed the question. Mike. Just to, ju- just to Mike's point, it does attract a, a, a different crowd to those days. But I've been, I mean, it's a hard thing to measure, so I don't know. But I wouldn't suspect that a lot of them come back. Uh, I'd say they go from one student day, and that's fine because they're busy, they're, they're, they're students, they have student jobs. How much time do they have? They want to spend time with their friends, have a few drinks, have some fun. But I wouldn't think, uh, I would say we'd be talking maybe one or two percent say, oh, we should do this. We should maybe go to Leopardstown on a summer's evening. Um, and maybe that's enough to justify it. Again, it's only one day and I don't have to go so I can suck it up. That's a very charitable description, isn't it? They're full of energy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember, TC, I was on track at Chepstow the other day when they had their student race day. You sent me the video afterwards of them all in the sort of like party marquee well after racing had finished, going for their lives, having the time of their life. I've been at Newcastle plenty of times for student race days. To be honest with you, I- I'm well here for it. 
It yeah. brings a great atmosphere to what is normally a dead racetrack. And even if one or two percent come manage to cut, even if the number is only one or two percent, if that's two percent of people who have a nice day, enjoy themselves and they see a race meetings on a month later and say to their pals, hey, we have fun. Should we go again? And they go again. Yeah, and if one of those people becomes a fan of the sport, then that for me, I'm here for a student race. I, I think I think there was a fair bit of uh, with that Chepstow video. I think there's a fair bit of pig tranquilizers but involved with oh, that out there. <laughs> you might have seen Limerick last week they had their student day and geez the, the noise and the atmosphere like it was so loud for ages like I, I'd be knocking around that neck of the woods and you know on local radio for weeks like, like this is sold out lads we're running the competition for tickets like hugely popular um, now I went to that that same meeting 10 years ago I believe it's become a b- bit more civilised since but oh my god that was a that was some experience now it was fairly I was there working like and it was absolute carnage I didn't know if I'd get out alive I but, could, um, um, on those student race days at Newcastle just because of where the students are and where my press position is for doing the on-course reporting I can barely hear the the <laughs> programme sound or producer in my ear because the atmosphere is so loud but anyway let's move on because we're wrapping up the show and we've got a couple more questions to go uh kevin you can have this next one steve tilly has asked why is Bryony frost getting such few rides is it due to lack of ability or other reasons um tricky this you know I, I look a lot of people i think would, would correlate um the high profile case that she was involved in with, with robbie dunn as being perhaps a reason why she isn't getting as much support. Um, look, I don't know. It'd be a very difficult thing to say with certainty either way. But look, what you'd say is that um, like a whole heap of jockeys, you know, make very forward moves early in, early in their career, come to prominence, do very well. And it starts to fizzle. And it starts to fizzle. And it's not because they're riding any worse, but it's just the nature of the game. There's always someone younger, fancier, more fashionable coming up the ranks. And and Bryony, um, you know, a lot of strength of her position was the relationship that she had with Paul Nichols. And that, that's still there, but it doesn't seem to be as lucrative as, as it once was. Um, mm. so like I, I don't necessarily and look, she's had injury worries as well. And when you when you've had a long absences through injury, look, it can be hard to work your way back. So um it's a difficult thing to give a definite answer to, but it would be very similar to plenty of other cases of jockeys who didn't have, you know, I suppose a high profile and contentious case that she was involved in. Plenty of them just go a bit quieter um, for, for reasons that, that, that aren't directly related to how they're riding or, or ability. Just very quickly on this, I did some stats on it. It's very quick. I know we're short for time, but she's only had 135 rides uh, this season. I know she's been out for a month with a broken collarbone, but 135 rides. If you take out Paul Nichols, Lucy Wadham and Jimmy Frost, she's only had 34 rides from other other trainers and and only 10 other trainers. So I strongly suspect that uh, that case uh, with Robbie Dunn has had a big impact uh, about people's willingness to put her up, right or wrong, and I suggest it's wrong. Yeah, it's a bit of a sad state of affairs, to be honest, if, if that is the case. Uh, but we don't know personal circumstances or what she's cho- who she's choosing to ride for herself, but um, we obviously wish her the very best. Um, final question is from Mark. Who do you think is slash are the jockeys to follow on the flat this season, excluding the likes of Buick, Murphy, Moore, etc.? Well, I, I I flagged up in our WhatsApp group that I think Kieran Schumacher's a really good jockey, and I was shot down by UTC. So no, I just no, but you said it immediately after the dream one, and I I basically said I could have won on that. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, in all seriousness, I think he's going to have a really big season. All jokes. No, no, there was. We won't mention the gossip about what job he's going to get this season. But uh, no, I, I don't pay much attention to jockey, so I'll let Brendan and Kevin oh, yeah. take the lead here. Go on, Kevin. You're not allowed to say Billy Lock name, obviously. Yeah, well, no, yeah, too obvious. Uh, promising young lad now, for sure. Um, but if I had to give you one this side of the Irish Sea, he'll be a little bit obvious to to Irish racing followers, but maybe not to um, our British listenership. Is a, a young chap called Jamie Powell um, rode a winner at Leopardstown yesterday. Um, claims five apprentice to Johnny Murta. Um, I suspect he'll be heavily in the mix for champion apprentice honours this year if he gets the the bounce of the ball. Very good. Okay. Ride. 
And what about you, Brendan? Do you want to put someone forward? Yeah, just a, a, a very outside check. There's a young fella called Robert Fuerty, and I'm conscious, I think he's a smashing jockey. Now, he's claiming seven pounds. He's been claiming seven pounds for ages because it's so hard to get rides in Ireland. He doesn't get that many rides. And as Kevin was talking about, Jamie Powell, who really came to prominence towards the end of last season will probably have a big year and that pony race and factory just churns them out year on year and maybe Huerty will never get the rides but I think it, it could be the very best thing for him if he just has quite a long apprenticeship and hones the skills and he has skills the young fella and then somehow he just gets on the right horse and he becomes fashionable I think he could take off so just if, if you're having a bet he claims seven pounds he's stealing seven pounds Okay, robbing seven. Right, lads, thank you very much to your contributions. As always, that wraps up the show. Thank you to our listeners and viewers out there. Obviously, have a good week. Enjoy yourselves. Gamble responsibly. And join us again on Thursday, where we'll be back with Racing Only Better, where we will be going through ITV's racing on Saturday in one fail swoop. <laughs>